0: Back, everybody. My name is Samantha Zessi.
1: My name is Roy George Philip the First. I want to workshop some new ones. I just don't know what to do. Like a little bit more cleverness with my name. I feel like you could do initials.
0: I mean, R G P.
1: Hit us up on the Facebook. Hit us up on the Twitter. But yeah, come up with some creativity for it. Yeah,
0: this is masculinity, by the way. We're actually this is we have actually a really awesome. Awesome topic to talk about today. But first, what why don't you tell us a little bit about how life has been
1: Yo, So uh, y'all don't know this, but we got a killer book club that we both participate yes. in. And it's a hella book. It's not what you expect. It's, it's bizarre as fuck. Uh, but it's very interesting and provocative called The Vegetarian by Han Kang, uh, Korean author, South Korea translation. Won the Booker a couple years ago. and You know, I'm not about prizes. I don't give a shit, but <laughs> this book's hella deep and I like it.
0: The book is amazing. Uh, it's a page-turner. I actually really cared about the fact that it won the translation award because some of you may know that I'm actually a translator.
1: Ooh. By day, I know this is my
0: Stop day job. Knowledge. So, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic book. It's a little bit enraging, but it works. You know, the other thing that's been happening for me this week is somebody told me about the Good Looking Loser website. Have you heard of this website?
1: Nah, no idea what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like uh, along the lines of like a pickup artist type scheme, right? Where like you know, it's uh, it's guys under. The uh, cloak of empowerment for men, which really just means in a lot of ways, like, how can men sleep with more women? One of the things that they talk about is approach anxiety and how, like, guys, like, are anxious about approaching women and how boys don't don't have approach anxiety. Men don't. And, like...
1: No, men do. Boys don't.
0: No, boys have approach anxiety, but uh, when you're a real man,
1: I uh, I get it, I get it. don't have
0: approach anxiety because a, a real man knows how to just approach women and his desire to get laid is higher or stronger than his desire for validation. Anyway, I just think that it's an interesting segue into the topic that we're going to be covering today.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about growing boys into men and so on and so forth... I mean, this this season we've we've looked at ways in which the mask of masculinity is like systemized at so many levels. Like we've talked about incarceration, we're always going to talk about sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but today we're continuing that trend, and again about the boys becoming men and the education, the formality and the informality of all. We're going to be taking a look at one of the oldest institutions in this country that has. Uh, definitely informed, and for many simply formed, their absolute masculinity. And that's the Boy Scouts of America, which I'm either proud or ashamed to say I was at one point in my life. <laughs> Anyways, they're not going to be a sponsor of this pod. So the Boy Scouts were founded in 1910, and its objective is and was to train youth uh, to, in, to be responsible citizens, developing their character, self-reliance, and they did it through various programs, activities, merit badges. So
0: many of you may know exactly what the Boy Scouts are, but I actually yeah, had to do... I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't like it. I'm so excited for you to talk about this. I mean, but I actually had to do a little bit of research. Some of you know that I'm French. I don't really know if you have Boy Scouts in France. Whatever, I don't know. I didn't know. I just, I understand that it's a Christian-centric organization that people who are atheists and agnostic aren't allowed to join. And really? I'm Yeah. It's real I should have
1: known that, but I didn't know that. Yep.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so what I'm really interested in digging into is how, like, this, in, this organization performs on an institutional level, right? I think there's probably a lot of merit to teaching outdoorsy and reflective things to young people, mostly boys. And I think that there's a bigger context at work that would allow for the abuse that we found out about in 2012 to go on, right? So we just want to take a look at that. And so we have an amazing person here today who some might refer to as a genius— me, um, who uh, can help us actually navigate this issue. So, Eric, can you please pronounce your last name for me?
2: Oh, it's Bussy.
0: Bussy? I knew it yeah. was Bussy! Dude, I was
2: thinking like, You know, everyone always gets confused about it. They're like, ooh, Buse, booze, boozee. <laughs> yes. I'm like, nah, it's like way less romantic than that. Just, <laughs> just straight up Bussy.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. So, you know, you are the training and volunteer engagement director at Scouts for Equality, which is an organization... That I mean, this is my synopsis of it, right? That is dedicated to ensuring that the Boy Scouts of America are well, is like an inclusive organization, and the specific goal being to build up support and promote inclusive scouting in within this organization. So, without further ado, thank you so much for being here.
2: Hey, it's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It is. Uh, I'm so happy to meet you and, and talk with you today.
1: Yay! I mean, this is a very personal subject for me, so I'm glad you're right. here.
2: No, I, I, mean, I can't th- wait to hear about your experience.
1: Well, it wasn't it wasn't that bad in the sense, but it was just something that I've kind of normalized or buried down. Is just like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was part of the scouts. I didn't like it. Something that didn't feel right, and then I just moved on with my life. And whether you liked it or not, it's just like a normal part of American boyhood, at least middle America American boyhood. And uh, no people, we pay it no mind. So it's cool to like have bring this intersection of masculinity and it's pedagogy of how
2: we learn masculinity right
1: to the forefront
2: (laughs) Totally yeah, and it is loaded and it's it tends uh, a lot of people certainly on the coasts sort of forget that it is there's about You know 400 million there's 400 million, Lord Almighty, four million uh, active youth participants and like wow. two million adult volunteers. Um, and it is the largest youth serving organization in this country. Um, and so what is going on in the Boy Scouts has uh, significant implications for how we understand what character education, moral development, um, uh, and just and the cultivation of what it means to be a man is in this country. Mm.
1: Yeah, to be clear, there are like separate organizations for, quote unquote, women, cisgender girls, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is specifically targeted towards boys. And with that, that's why we can say or that's why we're using it as a lens to look at, yes, boys, men, and then the encouragement of masculinity that's right
2: right and it has been going the Bo- boy scouts of america has just recently been going through a lot of changes and there was this recent um highly publicized policy change that it, they allowed girls into the program for the first time in a limited capacity and that is you know full there's like uh, a lot of political implications for that decision too and um you know no, no shortage of stuff to talk about there um but th- the fact is it's things are Changing rather quickly, and so thinking about what the implications for that are, um, and how we do this, um, how Scouts for Equality helps or impels or deeply encourages the BSA to um, do undertake these transformations skillfully and with wisdom, and knowing their blind spots is is really important to us.
0: Okay, great. So actually, yeah, this is a perfect segue into kind of understanding what is B- uh, Scouts for Equality, right? And like. You know, I want to know a little bit later about how wh- how you got there. Um, but first, like, what is the organization? What does it do?
2: Yeah. So Scouts for Equality is a five hundred one c three not for profit. Uh, it is not a part of the Boy Scouts of America in any official uh, capacity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the organization was formed in uh, I believe two thousand twelve um, in response to uh, a woman uh, who is a lesbian had been uh, kicked out as a volunteer. Um, from her son's Cub Scout pack. And so, Scouts for a. Uh, there's a couple of Eagle Scouts who had found out that this happened and, and decided that they could no longer stand by and let the BSA get away with this. Um, and so, uh, they started this organization, and uh, around Jennifer Tyrell, who was the mother who uh, got kicked out. Um, you know, got a huge change.org petition started and started mobilizing a grassroots network uh, to try and say this is not um, representative of what we understand the values of scouting to be, mm-hmm. and this is not acceptable, and things need to change. Uh, and so that was the impetus for the organization, and we've our work has sort of carried through. And since uh, the organization started five or six years ago, um, we've seen. The BSA changed policies to allow, first uh, in 2013, they voted to allow LGB youth, okay. um, and then in 2015, they voted to allow LGB adults, uh, and then in 2017, actually, uh, Joe Maldonado, was a tiger cub in New Jersey, um, had been kicked out of his uh, group because his uh, gender identity did not match what was on his birth certificate, um, and so then Scouts for Equality um, partnered up with Garden State Equality and some other organizations to say, this is also unacceptable. Um, and then the BSA issued a policy change to say, we will now go um, by the gender that uh Scouts and Cub Scouts and Tiger Cubs and stuff will put on their application, so they won't interrogate anyone's gender. Um, And so that was a a big deal. And then just earlier this year, um, they are opening the program to girls in a limited capacity. So girls for the first time, uh, the details, you know, definitely need to be worked out, uh, can earn Eagle Award for the Eagle Scout Award, for example, which they never have been able to do uh, before.
0: Okay, so I have a question about that because, you know, there is a Girl Scouts. So why would girls want to join the Boy Scouts? I mean, I think I've looked into it, but I kind of want to hear, you know, a little bit about what it is that you think about the situation like like why would they not just go to the Girl Scouts? Also, why aren't there other types of scouts?
2: right no those are super good questions um so the reality is and i just want to be super clear like the girl scouts is an amazing program by the way they have had you know full-on inclusion statements for a while Mm. um and they've always we've always used them as an example to say like look bsa like the Girl Scouts is doing this and like they're doing op- just fine, like what is so what is um, so awful about being an inclusive organization that you can't do it when the Girl Scouts are doing it uh, right in front of your faces. Um, and so they're an amazing organization. The reality is, is that they are two very different programs. It's not like a boy version of the same program and a girl version of the same program. They have very different histories um, and very different um, models for what Uh, character development and moral development are, Um, but so for some girls, for a lot of girls, the Girl Scout programming is amazing, and exactly what they need, and frankly, it offers a, you know, if they're in school with boys in their classes and whatever, and are dealing with patriarchy on a day-to-day basis, like the opportunity to be in a space that's just for girls is Amazing and important and necessary. And so now what has happened is that girls and families have the option to choose to enter into the program that works best for them and You know, there's lots of there. I think it is a very real concern A lot of people had said have critiqued the Boy Scouts of America for making this decision because it, it's un, it They see it as undermining uh, the Girl Scouts um, okay. which, You know, it was a great patriarchal thing to do so <laughs> it's not unfounded um, but if, if for Scouts for Equality, what we would want to see happen is that scouting in both organizations can grow. Uh, we don't believe, we think that the scarcity mindset is not great for, ever, for anyone. Um, and that since both programs offer programming that are like desperately needed in the world in terms of community building, community responsibility, ecological sensibility, uh, all the rest of it. We want to see both programs grow and we want to give the preferential options to girls to be able to go in whatever the heck program they
0: want. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that because um, we had an episode actually about single-sex education. Mm, mm -hmm. And, you know, we went into, or at least I know for myself, I went into it being like, I mean, like, what do you mean, like, girls learn differently? And, like, what do you mean, like, you know, oh, aren't we all equal and whatever? And, uh, and you know, I came away from it really kind of understanding the benefit of having spaces where, you know, just, like, spaces where people felt safe because they were all, like, they didn't have that gender, like, kind of barrier or whatever it was to deal with, and they could kind of deal with each other and themselves in a more compassionate manner. And, um, you know, so I, so I get the part about you know, Boy Scouts originally being just for boys. What I'm interested in is understanding how, like what has been some of the kind of defense for it, keeping it to just like cisgender dudes. And like, I know that, you know, in the the organization's history as well, you know, even though like desegregation happened in 1967, and I think it was like outlawed in like organizations or something in until like in like nineteen seventy two or something like that. The scouts essentially waited for like a cool like six to eight years before they were like decided to desegregate their own stuff. And I feel like there's a level of there's a level of kind of parallel that's like there's like a certain kind of fabric that we're trying to maintain. And I think that's kind of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is because when I was talking to you at the event, I was like this is so American. This is so Make America Great Again American.
2: Right. So I completely agree. And so this, what you're really pointing at is is what my primary concern uh, in this work is is that um, the BSA, in you know all their hit, the way that they have interacted with the law, the way that um, they have continually um, dug in their heels in terms of maintaining their discriminatory policies, is a direct result in my opinion, of them coupling what it means to be a person of character, to be a person of moral development, with being a person of upper white Judeo-Christian Cis straight dominance. Yeah. Right. And so it's that coupling of morality with patriarchy and hegemony. that and like the, the preservation of, the, of that conflation is what has um, resulted in this you know really shameful history of discrimination and resistance to change um, and so what we're interested in, in doing is is decoupling right the scout law the scout is trustworthy loyal helpful friendly courteous kind obedient cheerful thrifty brave clean and reverent we need to decouple all those words which in and of themselves are not you know not bad things, but we need, they have been combined with straight, uh, white, uh, a certain kind of family structure, a certain kind of way of speaking, all of these things. We need to decouple those words um, from those origins. And I think only once we achieve that, we'll be on, you know, the BSA will be able to be a a truly um, powerful and ethical force in this country again.
1: Yeah, you said a very smart term in the sense of coupling, right? So it's like these words are married to these ideas and, and all of that is hegemony. And and Samantha, you said fabric, like this is a rich, intense fabric of the American-like identity and the American male identity. A nostalgic American male identity. We're always looking backwards, correct. What... So then what is the process of... I mean, because that, just to... the idea to fathom what it means to break down, decouple, deconstruct those connections that are so embedded, deep rooted into this fabric of what it means to American. I can't even imagine how that process begins.
2: Yeah, and this is um, what I spend most of my waking hours racking my brain on is the problem is it's like we have all the knowledge in the world, right about how these systems, these stigmatizing and marginalizing systems literally constrain the health. Of group X, Y, and Z. People of color, LGBTQ kids, trans kids, um, indigenous kids, like, there's all of the data in the world. And you can put these on PowerPoints and you can talk about it all day long and say, look at this, your policies are having implications, it's having real life concrete effects right, on people. Right, right. And yet, policies don't change. Right? Or at least not in a substantial way to say, oh, yes, we'll take this under advisement and We'll punt it down the road another month and we'll come back to it at the next quarter and like we'll see what's possible um, And so trying to there's a translational failure going on and I, I don't mean failure as in like uh, We shouldn't fail. I think we need to try and fail and learn yeah. um, but there's like some gap in translation that's going on to be like I need you to understand what this information means in terms of your own life and how you understand what it means to be moral. Sure. Um, and that and that, just because you don't, you know, exert direct violence onto a queer kid, for example, you're not like punching queer kids in the face, right? Which people would say, I'm, "I don't, I would never bully anyone," right? So that doesn't like mean. That's supposed
0: to, <laughs> you know,
2: like. What? Right. Oh it's like that does not mean that. That's great. Thank you for not. At being like outwardly violent to these kids that does not mean that your institution which has defended the discrimination and stigmatization of these populations for a hundred years normalized it, right and normalized absolutely. it and coupled it with what it means to be an ethical being right that that, that just because you change this policy that your work is done right um and so that's really trying to you know in its, in its training and its relationships and it is just the nitty-gritty like I will not abandon you because I'm frustrated at you, right? And I'm talking as a white cis dude, like, it's, that's my job. Like, I need to translate. And if I'm failing to translate, I need to get learn how to get better at it.
1: No, it's, it's an interesting word that you use translate because what you're really meaning is, like, you're saying something or the organization is saying something and the other organization is not hearing you right it's in the ear but it's not being translated in their own head to like application or understanding right and it's such a proper word of that translation because the it the communication is happening mm-hmm. but the understanding is, as as a product of that communication not happening right? Right. at least
2: not in an immediate sense right and there could be like you know personal transformation or like a, a sense of insight of like whoa yeah like these are serious problems oh and they're like totally within our power to to change but then like how do you make that durable when you know the rest of the institutional culture is going to punish whoever is trying to like you know really change our understanding of what it means to be an inclusive organization
0: it's all about humanization right it's hmm. all about humanization I feel like you know if you're talking about a policymaker who is I mean I'm literally making this up but you know a policymaker who's living like Potomac you know what i'm saying and like has been surrounded by i don't know anything about Potomac okay i'm just making this up but who's been surrounded by a, like a like a homogeneous or homogenous whichever one it is community their whole life you're going to talk to somebody about like you know some black girl trying to join the scouts and they're going to be like I mean it's cute that she wants to join but like no because th- who belongs here who this was made for is me and my neighbor and i think that things start to change when all of a sudden like your kid is playing with that little black girl you know what i'm saying like your, your daughter is, like, now dating this, like, you know, debonair Asian dude. Things start to change because you have to interact with that shit in your house.
2: Mm-hmm. This black girl is, is actually, like, was appointed the leader of your son's pack. Right. <laughs> right? That, we're, it, we're, that creates cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. of, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. What is going on here? And it's, like, we need to capitalize on those moments of cognitive dissonance to be, like, and now you have to revise your understanding of, like, what black women are capable of, what black young girls can do.
0: And then now we start to kind of get into, you know, the, the, like the, the profound levels of strategy and intricate planning that have gone into making sure right. that that doesn't happen. Right right and so i think like in very
2: polite ways
0: right in very polite <laughs> ways like oh well you know gerrymandering oh well you know like disenfranchised voters oh well you know like whatever and it's like you know i feel like when we it's a perfect parallel i think to this this systemization of masculinity actually it's not a parallel it's all part of the same machine right, right. it's like you can then see how white masculinity american white masculinity is based on having a more like a morality that's purely founded on the exclusion of others
2: right and is actually it's white supremacist <laughs> uh, bar none um and so it's like when, when you got you got to talk about you know how this became our standard of morality and that has a history and yeah. a lineage, and until that's reckoned with, you know you're just creating um, different rhetoric around the same problems
1: agreed well it- let's not skirt too much on the surface let's go a little deeper like what right. are we talking about when we yeah. connect white supremacy to uh, moral standards to being an ethical human and that being the all american male what is that what does that really mean
2: right so I'll, I'll just root it in my own experience right there's um there's the word obedience, obedient in the scout law. Um, And so it's like, what is, so what does the word obedient mean in white supremacist culture? Hmm. Um, And what would the word obedient mean in an anti-racist culture or an anti-racist institution? Um, Does obedience mean uninterrogated acquiescence to authority? Or does obedience mean uh, respect for authority so long as, uh, authority is derived from the will of the, the people right <laughs> or mm-hmm. is it Absolutely. obedience to democratic process or is it obedience to you know um, Obey or you'll be punished if you don't conform to these norms um, Which are white institutional organizational norms, right sure. talk a certain way and you, we could even get you know Morally straight was the just the, a, um, In the scout oath, you know, you got to be morally straight and that was the justification for Uh, one part of the, at least a symbolic justification for banning LGB LGB folks for the longest time, and so then what does it mean to be morally straight, Um, and how has that, how is that immediately transposed onto literal like heterosexuality versus like, oh no, moral straightness is like a commitment to moral honesty, to moral integrity, to moral humility, to, you know, power concedes nothing and so I'm going to be morally straight about this reality right. and so I, I just am spending a lot of time and it's right it's kind of a creative iterative process I have there's no we're, we're trying to do something fundamentally different particularly in the American context and the scouting you know there's like 30 over 30 million scouts scouters all over the world in the World Organization of the Scout Movement and in many, many, many countries, you know, it's co-educational, they have had inclusive policies for a long time, they have, we are LGBT inclusive and affirming like on the banner of their website, Um, so the BSA isn't remaking the wheel here, but it is grappling with a particular American manifestation of this work that um, needs, you know, iterative solutions that And we need to be willing to fail and to try and fall flat on our faces and be accountable (laughs) to people who have had bad experiences. For example, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at. I would love to hear your experience if you want to talk about it. My experience wasn't necessarily bad bad in
1: the sense that it was exclusionary or exclusive. Excuse me, to the scouts. But it was the sense that I grew up in the Texas Panhandle. I grew up in a Christian home, but I grew up in a single parent home. I grew up in a single parent home where we were both brown, and I went when I, you know, was in the scouts. I was in this big group of. Boys and young men, for the most part, all coming from traditional homes with a father and a mother, who were, i think—minus maybe one or two other Hispanic boys, it was I was the only other brown boy, and I was naturally shy. But seeing that all as a whole, like I felt like an explicit outsider, and there was no part of it that was inclusive where it felt like, oh, come into the fold. It was like. Because I was this, am um, a very sensitive boy. As it is, like I knew I was the outsider. I was right. never made to felt feel a part of something that we were a family or some sort of
2: group unit. We'll take your membership dues. Sure, but you're not gonna be feel included. You're, I mean, you can play the games, but you're not really participating.
1: Right. right. So that was my experience, and not to say that that's everybody's experience, and that's not going to be. But to know that, and to know that there's something about that at the at again at in the core of this institution that had a facet or tacit part of it that is exclusionary is problematic
2: right and I do want to and thank you for sharing that and so then I, I do find myself you know there's no shortage of critique <laughs> about this sure. organization yeah and yet here I am like the director of training for this organization called Scouts for equality, for equality who is trying to make the BSA everything it can and should be and I have to be honest with them, sometimes I'm like whew, why? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing it? Is this really worth it? And the honest question is, I just, um, it, the experience was so utterly transformative for me, and is uh, has constituted who I am, including my commitment to, uh, you know, this work, to justice work, um, <laughs> that it's... I have to trust that there is some genius actually in the program to be like, okay, here's what you're going to do. From the time you are eight years old until you are 18, you're going to have this community of people that you can meet with several hours a week, and you're going to go out. Um, and learn skills and like struggle together uh, in the woods, <laughs> right? Um, which for me, you know, growing up in Wisconsin was always like always associated with recreation. And so it was a, it was a fun thing um, and some of my deepest most formative relationships are gonna come out of here and I, I'm i gonna be forced to do hard things that aren't comfortable and um, and both like bodily um and intellectually and like with commitments to the community like work towards something that feels bigger than myself and that was you know when you when i th- remember it in this way it it doesn't surprise me that there's 4 million youth participants in sure. the program right and so tr- but just trying to be like bsa there is brilliance here and i want you to be the fullest freest most authentic expression of that brilliance by divesting yourself and liberating yourself from these legacies which are constraining your possibility and actually just like inhibiting the mission that you set out for yourself, you know, to create a, a more just, caring, engaged world. Um, and so that's, that's the aspiration and it's just finding ways to um, both highlight that brilliance and also unapologetically hold them accountable for what is unacceptable.
1: Sure. I I think it'd be easy to like um, capitalize on like trying to figure out what the naysayers are saying about your organization, but do you guys on the opposite like I'm assuming you have a lot of allies and like I would like to hear about the parents or some of the adults who are like strong allies.
2: Right. So uh, the first like super um, clear example that pops into my head is one of the things that Scouts for Equality has done is we even created this Uh, in inclusive scouting program. And so units uh, who are aware of our work can go on our website and fill out a form telling us about themselves and say, we would like to be listed on your website as an inclusive unit. Um, And then we have a map on our website and parents who are (laughs) legitimately concerned about like, right, the BSA has this great program and they have this horrible history. So like, and I'm not gonna put my kids in a a troop that I don't, isn't on your level. (laughs) Right. And so what this inclusive scouting um, system does is allows parents to see is there an inclusive ne- uh, That's really unit cool. yeah. near us um, That we can be reasonably confident to reach out to and of course scouts for quality can't offer any guarantees of their level of training or, or sure. Whatever else, but at least you know, we can say they reached out to us um, to want to do this um, and then the other other th- and The other thing is we've sent out, we have this uh, inclusive scouting award, um, which we've sent out at close to 30,000 around the world, which is, uh, you know, scouts love their patches and their badges. And so it's this little knot um, that's worn on the uniform uh, that isn't, you know, it's not an official, it's not a be a, a sanctioned award um, so it's a protest symbol and it has a That's rainbow rainbow threads and That's then a purple and white thread to symbolize the inclusion of um atheists and agnostics and a rainbow one to symbolize the inclusion of lgbt folks and adults youth participants knowing that they may be rebuked honestly mm. and punished for wearing and ostracized it, yeah. where it you know it's, it's kind of drawing on the safe uh, the safe space uh, program and things like that as a this is what I believe scouting is. Um,
1: Oh, that's real, right? Right. Yeah. That's real
2: hopeful. And so there's lots of energy around it, right?
0: Actually, what you're saying about obedience is huge, right? The sexual assault application, or the sexual abuse uh, implications or accusations that came out, like, in 2012, where it was, like, I didn't look a whole lot into it, but basically, like, information on information about years of abuse of, like, young men and boys within the organization and like now that you're saying you know obedience being really just like don't talk back and even if it's a if even if the the your sense of morality that's been you know created around this organization that's really cultivating like you know service and just character you know none of that matters when it comes to this
2: Right. So there. this this reminds me, I know y'all had Dr. Kimmel on your show mm-hmm. a, uh, a bit ago, and this reminds me of something, you know, it is, it is too easy to say that the BSA just wants to, like, harm kids who aren't white, cis, het, all of the things. Um, the BSA doesn't want harm to come to these people. I mean, on personal levels, no one would say, like, oh, no, screw these kids, like... I don't want anything to do with them. And so then it's like, BSA, you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, and to also to give the BSA credit, and this is just, you know, probably important for people to listen, to, to hear, you know, the abuse that uh, went on in the BSA, is like tragic. And the way that that abuse, um, you know, in retrospect was conflated with, we, oh, so now we can't have lgb people because lgb people are pedophiles and so they're right there's this great yeah that's a whole thing Um, but what they did in light of all of this they have um, implemented their youth protection programming which is Regarded as the gold standard for all youth serving organizations in this country quite frankly and like and that, in that tangible ways That means that like there's no one-on-one contact between adults and youth for example Like if there's one r- youth somewhere there has to be two adults And so there's you know to try and mitigate any potential for abuse and so there's accountability within the organization uh, Also, there's you know age segregated um, Sleeping arrangements between youth participants so that the, you mitigate power and things like this and they host the international youth protection symposium Uh, quite frequently in which they they work with other youth serving organizations around the country to say, how do we keep doing better? Um, So in terms of preventing physical and sexual abuse, they have enacted a very robust response now. uh, In light of, I can't, maybe it was the National Institutes of Health and Kaiser Permanente, don't quote me on that, you know, did this adverse childhood experiences survey, ACE, um, in which they found that uh, emotional and verbal abuse are not incomparable in any way, shape, or form in, in terms of adverse life outcomes than physical and, and sexual abuse, hmm. right? And so this is something that the whole youth protection field is like dealing with now collectively. And so what we're trying to to help them understand is that stigma, right? and bullying, although I use bullying in in scare quotes because it has all this cultural baggage which makes it not be taken seriously, so I'll just say direct violence. Stigma and direct violence is a youth protection issue, right, and if you are not actively, intentionally trying to prevent uh, the stigmatization and direct violence toward the arguably some of the most vulnerable populations in this organization, LGBTQ kids, then you aren't doing youth protection up to its highest standards. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, that's another way to, to help them un- because they don't have they don't know what they don't know Right, and they want to keep kids safe This is like a, a deep heartfelt commitment because they have years of Not keeping kids safe, right yeah. that they understand like what's at stake here um, and so youth protection is one way to help them see like you want to take youth protection to its maximum extent because this is like what scouting is and this is our values, then you have to see it in this way that scouts who are actively undergoing verbal and emotional abuse, which may may not be so obvious, is no uh, no less significant than you trying to prevent physical and sexual abuse to the maximum extent possible. Um, And that is language Right, that they are equipped with. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, youth protection. Yeah, we got this." But if you know, we throw identity politics at them or whatever else in language that you know, I is really just an opportunity for me to like feel super woke, like berating the BSA, <laughs> is not going to be effective. But if I say, "Look, there, are, here are the other consequences, mm-hmm. um, and I need you to see this, and this isn't uh, uh, not included in what you're already doing at all. We just need to do it." to the fullest extent.
0: I just wonder about like creating a context in which you're saying you're not allowed to be alone with a child because we're worried that you're going to do xyz and I feel like to our point about like the conversation of like digging deeper, you know, it's like what kind of tr- I mean and I'm not sure if this exists but like what kind of training or what kind of conversations could we be having that we would be mitigating that trying to mitigate that desire in the first place, right? I mean, we're talking about an organization, and not just an organization, because like we said, this is part of the kind of the fabric of the country. This happens everywhere. But like, what kind of context can we create that, you know, this like, this demonstration of, of power, or if a man is not feing, feeling powerful somewhere, that he has somewhere to go. We were talking about this with um with Alejo. He, 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 this is one of like our guests last week was talking about incarceration, right? And so, you know, talking about how like, we talk about men not expressing them, or like not showing weakness, sadness. They can only show anger. They can't show frustration. It's like, what do you then do? We talk about what not to do, what do you then do? So these people who have this power thing, where, where do they go?
2: Right, and so what? what it is striking me is you're talking, this is circular, right? Yeah. Because the the reason there's, why are there such grotesque abuses of power in any situation, but we'll t- take, you know, the history of abuse in the BSA as, as a case study, like where is that coming from? Is, you know, the escape, the easy route is to say, oh, it's just human nature and people are like, bad, and so like, th- we just can't do anything about it, and... Right all that crap, Mm -hmm. or it's like this is a product of something that we are cultivating as a culture. We may not wish we were cultivating it, we may not even think we're cultivating it, but the fact that it's happening, right, systems deliver only in exactly what they're designed to deliver, right? And so if men are being um, educated, especially in terms of thinking about how they wield their power, which is, in my opinion, a deeply ethical and moral um, issue, And the BSA is, you know, educating people in this model of masculinity which uh, lends itself to such grotesque abuses of power. This says something about the failure of that or of these our systems to form the uh, moral development of men in a way that they can express their power and claim their power in a way that does not uh, enable, or um, that doesn't seek its, its manifestation in the abuse of people with less power. And, I mean, I
0: do feel like the things that you touched on in terms of just homogeneity, right, coupled with, m- like, morality, looking a certain way, being a certain way, being someone, who, like, being performed by a specific yeah. person Talking in Talking a to, certain way. Exactly, right. in order for it to be valid, right, yeah. um, are, are a direct parallel to masculinity. Like, who gets to be masculine? Who gets to be... Manly, who gets to be strong, who gets to be powerful? It's all leaders.
2: Ha- who gets to be a leader? Who
0: gets to be a leader? <laughs> it's all having to do, all mostly having to do with who's performing it and not necessarily with what is being performed.
1: What's interesting here is a lot of times, like, we go on with our normal everyday lives. We do our thing and we expect, we have expectations of what certain ideas are, right? So we think of education or teaching or learning to happen in our schools and maybe they happen through the internet, but that's it. Uh, but what we're seeing here is that a lot of t- things are communicated and educated, and, and pedagogy happens in so many different institutions or different settings. And in this case, it happens at the Boy Scouts. And what is it teaching? These ideas of, of what it means to be an, a moral man, what it means to be obedient. And we, after a while, we just take that as absolutely common sense normal. Well, this right. is what it means to be obedient. This is right. what it means to be ethical. This is what it means to be a man and masculine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But what we're seeing, what we're uncovering is a lot of times these things are learned. Mm -hmm. and that there are systems that teach these things, and we're all part of it, and we're all going along until we decide that, hmm, maybe we can change this. Maybe we can transform this. Right. And that's what's happening today, and that's what we're learning today. So thank you so much for being here. Eric.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I I couldn't say it better myself. (laughs) Um,
1: One more time, where can people learn more about your organization?
2: Yeah, they can head over to www.scoutsforequality.org. We're always uh, on the move, doing something, concocting some plans, so uh, we're thankful for uh, any and all support. Um, Also, if you're just our you know curious about more of the pragmatic realities about the policy changes or like what is it going to look like that girls can be a part of the program now and like the political implications of girls being able to earn eagle for the first time we're always more than happy to field all of those uh, questions and um, yeah let's just work toward more moral world full support of that
1: Full support
0: of that. So, hey, guys. Uh, I hope you guys got as much out of this episode as we did. This was certainly an amazing, um, just an amazing conversation, and we look forward to more, hopefully. Um, and, uh, you know, you can find us. We really want to hear what you feel about this. I mean, if you're a Boy Scout or Girl Scout or anyone else. Um, Tiger okay. Cub. Yeah. <laughs> These are things that I don't understand. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, feel free to reach out to us. You know, we're at Twitter at pod. Um, with a K, of course, masculinity podcast on Facebook. You can reach out to us via email masculinitypodcast at whoistheo.com. Always with a K. Always with a K. Always with a K. Um, thank you so much for listening. Eric, thank you again for being here. Vermoy, thank you for being my partner and Um Vermoy's birthday is coming up soon, actually. Um, anyway, I mean, thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Samantha Zesi.
1: My name is Roy George Philip I. And
0: this has been Masculinity. Ciao. Peace.